for this church, for Alliance Bible Church, is significantly above budget for the year. Significantly above budget. That's something major to celebrate, something that we're super excited about. And, uh, oh my goodness, that's really, there we go. Um, so, so what we're going to do with that actually is, uh, uh, we encourage you, you know, continue as you, as you tithe, as you give regularly, whatever that might be. But I know that many of you, as you think about December, tend to think about year end giving and, uh, maybe increasing that in some way. And so, so what we really want to encourage everyone to do is, uh, as you think about year end giving, if you're thinking about giving over and above for December, we would really, really encourage you to give to Alliance Missions. Um, this church is uh, very close, actually, to hitting 10% over and above giving to, uh, to go towards missions, and that is, that's a, a big uh, landmark for us if we can do that. And uh, what would be amazing is I would love to see us in December, at, by, we, by the time we get to the end of December, that we have hit that 10% mark for giving to missions. So this is how you can do that. Uh, if you, uh, it, when you, whenever you write your checks or get around to it, if you just write in the memo line, Great Commission Fund, uh, that all goes towards Alliance Missions. The other, uh, the other way that you can do that, if you want to give online, uh, you go to abcbartlett.org, and there's a little link in our menu that says Give, and there's a drop-down list where you can select Great Commission Fund there as well. But uh, it would be amazing uh, for us to prioritize. Like, we have, we have what we need. We're on track to make the money that we need to meet our budget. And so I would love uh, to see this church support Alliance missions in every way that we can. So if you have your Bibles with you, open them up to First Peter. And then if we have any kids with us, we're going to dismiss you all. You can meet at the back of the sanctuary here, and we'll send you up to children's ministry. So we're in First Peter chapter 4. And as you turn there, you can tell me if you have this problem. I forget things a lot. I forget things, not just some things. I forget a lot of things. Uh, and so this is, a, this is a problem for me. I can't tell you how many systems I have had to like instill in my life because of my tendency to forget things. Like I've had to, I've had to make, make a number of different things. When I was a kid, it was tie a string around your finger, right? And maybe you've heard that before. So I tied a string around my finger. That way I'm constantly asking, oh, why is this string around my finger? Oh, it's because I'm going to forget my lunchbox at school. And so I will remember to bring my lunchbox home with me when I leave from school. And so that was one system. Uh, the biggest system I have in place in my life right now to keep me from forgetting things is my wife. My wife keeps me from forgetting so many things. She is like, she's always reminding me of the, the things that I need to remember and hold on to, and I need to remember to bring this or drop something off. Uh, so, that, so that's one thing. And part of it's because she reminds me, but part of it's also too, like, I just, I'm afraid. I don't want to let her down, right? And so that would not be good. Uh, all right, second system. I have one of these things. Maybe you've seen this before. This is a tile. Uh, and what this tile does, it hooks to my keychain, and uh, I push the button on the tile, and it tells me my phone makes a sound. So I, because I, I am either always misplacing my phone or misplacing my keys. If I ever lose both of them, I am in a really poor state. But uh, so I can I can pull my phone out, and I can also ring this on my tile, and uh, and and make sure that I find my keys as well. So that's a, that's another system I have in my life. Uh, third system. I, uh, on my phone, there's this thing called the Notes app 
which apparently I need to use more. I had breakfast with Pastor Don the other morning, and uh, I was like, there was something I wanted to talk to you about, uh, but I can't remember what it was. And he was like, you know, the Android phone has this app called Notes. And I was like, I have that too. That's enough of that. You don't have to worry about it. But okay, so the Notes app, though, I take, I take notes about things to make sure that I'm remembering it. And if I ever pull my phone out and you're in the middle of a conversation with me and I start typing, it's not because I'm texting somebody. I'm doing that because I need to remember the thing that you're telling me. So I'm trying to make sure that I hold, hold on to it. So like life in general, just I, it makes me forgetful. I have to work hard to make sure that, that I don't get too forgetful. Now, that problem, the problem of my forgetfulness, it only compounds when I'm in pain. So it actually becomes more challenging when I'm in pain. So physical pain, uh, it takes my mind off of what I'm doing. So if I have a migraine headache, uh, the only thing that I can do is think about that migraine. Like, it's the only thing that I can do. I, I lose sight of literally everything I, else I have to do because this headache is so powerful. The other night, um, we were decorating for, we were doing Christmas decorating, and I, uh, I, was, I was helping with the garland up here and, you know, uh, putting nails in the wall, and I left the hammer on top of the ladder, and, and then I picked the ladder up and started to move it, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I felt this intense pain that hit right on the top of my head, and, uh, and I tell you, for about a minute, I forgot what I was doing. I did forget what I was doing. And, and Lynn even asked me, Lynn goes, are you okay? Like, are you seeing stars? I'm like, oh, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. But I, I was not, like, I, I, I was like, what, I was looking for something. I was doing something. What am I here for? So anyway, that was, the physical pain has the power for, like, momentarily to make you miss things. And, and so the pain of stress also comes in, and, and it can make me lose track of things. It makes me lose sight of responsibility sometimes. Uh, emotional pain, it can actually make me forget that, people, that there are people to pay attention to. Like, my wife will tell you when I'm, when I'm stressed out or if I'm in emotional pain about something, like, my ability to be present in the moment is significantly decreased, um, to, to pay attention to the needs around me. It, all, it makes all of this stuff really challenging. So pain actually compounds our problem in a significant way. So can we, can we talk about a truth about pain. Pain can make life difficult and alter our view of reality. Pain can make life difficult and alter our view of reality. So sure, yes, it, it does, it can make us forget things, and I get that, but, but it also impacts maybe how we treat others, the kinds of things that we say, the kinds of things that we do, and maybe even sometimes pain actually makes us rethink things that at one time were really clear to us. But because we're in pain, it's, it's kind of altering our perception of that thing that we once thought. And so f- for many of us here, one thing that I'm aware of is that pain is a very real, present reality in your life. It is a companion for you. I know many people in this church, we've dealt with a lot of people who have lost loved ones recently. Dealing with a lot of people who are just going through uh, physical maladies. Dealing with the reality of bodies that are breaking down in ways that you never thought that they would break down. Right? Pain is present in so many ways. Um, but some of you are dealing with hard work circumstances. Some of you are dealing with broken relationships. And, and all of those realities, that's just what's present in this room right now. And so if that's the case, like as a, so as a pastor, as a, as a person who has a listening ear, uh, most times when I'm talking with people, like one of the questions that pastors deal with more often than anything else is this, what do I do 
about my pain? What do I do about my pain? Because it's, it's, it's something that's really challenging to understand. It creates so many challenges for us. And, and so in 1 Peter, Peter is addressing this question of what do we do with our pain? You see, Peter, Peter's audience, they were asking this same sort of question. Um, you know, pain and suffering, we've talked about this a little bit. We've been reviewing it every week as we've been going through 1 Peter. But, but pain and suffering was at the doorstep of these people that he was writing to. They had been kicked out of their homes. They had their jobs taken away from them. The, the people who were around them, the society around them, told them consistently that they did not want them as Christians around. They were excluding them. They were reviling them. Uh, these people had loss of privilege. Like the, the number of pains that were piling up in, in Peter's audience, the life of Peter's audience, were insurmountable. Like it just kept coming. And so this is what Peter understands as he looks at the pain that they're going through. What he understands is that pain makes you do things that you wouldn't do in any other circumstance. Pain actually changes your perception of reality. So, so fellow, my fellow males were the worst at this, right? Okay, so let me explain to you what I mean. Uh, I, about once every two months, I will be walking around my bedroom and uh, I will stub my pinky toe on the corner of our bed on a consistent basis. And I will, I'm not a yelling person, but I yell at that moment when I stub my toe on the corner of my bed. Guys, my wife went through childbirth and was way more chill than I am about my pinky toe, okay? So like that's, like, that's something to acknowledge. Uh, every time I stub my toe, I yell. And, and I do things I wouldn't normally do. And, and Peter, he sees that pain whether it's emotional or whether it's physical, uh, it's going to make you want to do things that you wouldn't normally do. There's actually going to be a host of temptations that come along with pain. And so uh, I want to look at at four of those temptations, what they could be. There are some temptations that we face in pain. The first one is this. We, We might be tempted to distance ourselves from God. In the middle of pain, we might be tempted to distance ourselves from God. We might say things like, how dare God let me go through this? How could God let me go through this? God must be distant from me right now. Who does God think he is? He must not care. Right, so that's going to be one temptation that we'll face. The second temptation is this. We might be tempted to lash out at other people. So this comes through yelling. This comes through name-calling. This comes through assuming the worst about people. It's funny, when you're in pain and somebody does something wrong about you, you are more quick to assume the worst about their motivations, the kinds of things that they want to do to you. Being short with people, forgetting that the people that you're interac- interacting with are valuable people made in God's image, right? So, that, so that's the second temptation. The third temptation, we ignore it or we pretend it doesn't exist. We do this by watching TV, engaging in social media, playing video games, like investing in distraction, working extra long hours, like all of this stuff is, these are all, uh, like none of those by themselves are bad things, but they become the tools that we use to ignore the pain that we're in. The fourth temptation is this, we use it to justify broken behavior. So normally, like normally when there are things we know we shouldn't do, we don't do them, but, but somehow in our mindsets, when we're in pain, we actually justify doing those things that we typically wouldn't do. We find ways to justify broken behavior. To do, to do something to cope with our pain, we say, it's okay because I'm in pain. 
So I just invite you as you, uh, as you look at these four temptations up here, which, which category do you fit into? Which one relates most clearly? Like, that's the one that I jump to. I can tell you that I personally, like, I found myself in every one of these categories at some point, doing one of these things. So let's talk reality. Um, we cannot get away from pain. As much as we, we might want to, like, pain is going to be a constant in our life. We might be inclined to try to escape from it, but it's just a reality of living in a broken world. Pain is here. And so, so if that's the case, I don't necessarily want to, I, I don't even think it's, it's useful to talk about how do we get away from pain, but I want to talk about how do we go through pain well? How do we suffer well? How do we not let these temptations describe what we do with pain? So, uh, so Peter, he's going to help his audience process this question, and, and this is what he writes, 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2. He says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer, for human passions, but for the will of God. So after, after praying, after reading through this passage, after reflecting on this this week, this, this is what I am utterly convinced of. God is not indifferent to our pain. In fact, he actually cares a lot about it. He cares a lot about what we do with it. He is personally invested in whatever happens as a result of our pain. He's concerned about it. He wants to see it produce a good outcome. So what does that tell us about God? Well, at the very least, it tells us that when we're in the middle of pain, he's not distant from us. But he's actually very near to us. You know what? God has a relationship with whatever pain we might be going through. He's actually deeply passionate about it. And this is the, the general truth I want us to understand this morning. God is near enough to make your pain redeemable. Whatever it might be, God is near enough to you to make your pain redeemable. So this morning as we explore, as uh, we're going to look at Peter's words and we're going to kind of look at really four truths that Peter lays out in this, this text um, about God's relationship to your pain. And, uh, and these truths are actually going to help us combat those temptations that we talked about. So, uh, so let's go into it. The first truth, number one, God knows your pain. Verse one says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. So, uh, so Peter, as he's been uh, kind of going through, as he's been teaching these people, as he's been writing to them, trying to engage them, what he has been, like, he keeps coming back to Jesus. So he says, like, something, and then he draws their attention back to Jesus. And then he says something else and draws their attention back to Jesus. Every time he tells them to do something, he draws their attention back to Jesus. Every time he tells them things that they might set their mind on, he draws their attention back to Jesus. It's like he keeps coming back to Jesus. And, you know, it's like these people, they're very distractible in the middle of it, and if he doesn't keep resetting their focus, uh, they, like, they are going to be pulled away from the truth that they need to remember. And so my, uh, like, uh, my daughter, when she, it's time to eat, and there are things going on around her, she has the worst time remembering that it's time to eat. 
Like she's, she's all distracted. She have to, and you have to keep drawing her attention back. No, like we're eating now. We're eating now. You need to pay attention. This is what we're doing, right? Because her, her mind keeps getting pulled back. And this is what Peter is doing with these people. He keeps drawing their attention back to Jesus. He wants them to see. And the reality is, in the middle of pain and suffering, like there's nothing like pain and suffering to take their attention off of Jesus. So he keeps doing this, and, and he had just finished talking, in the passage before this, he had just finished talking about the Christian value of submission. Uh, about how submission is like the strongest tool in the Christian's tool, te- tool chest. As they live in a broken society, as, as Christians try to figure out what it looks like to love people well around them, he calls them to submission, to the ability to bless and the ability to trust, right? This is what he calls them to in the middle of this. And, and what Peter knows is that a necessary result as you submit in these circumstances, the reality is, is that it's going to bring pain. It's going to bring suffering. It's what Jesus did. Like Jesus subjected himself. He submitted himself to authorities in this world. And as he did this, you know, you know what happened? He, it resulted in pain in his life. It resulted in suffering. In fact, his suffering was, was a level above, I think, any suffering that we could imagine. At the very least, it matches the suffering that we might go through. And this is the idea, like, uh, as we ask questions, is God present, is God near in the midst of this? You know what, God is so committed in his love for you that what he did is he took on flesh. Like, Jesus came in the flesh and endured suffering, knowing, knowing that the reason he was coming was to endure suffering, to give you a gift that you couldn't get yourself. Like, that's how present, that's how willing he was to enter in. So what exactly did Jesus endure? Well, let's talk about everything that Jesus endured. Jesus endured the loss of loved ones. So uh, Lazarus, you know, Lazarus died, and, and Jesus, we actually see that Jesus wept about that. And what's interesting is you might say like, oh, well, but Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, so that's not a big deal. He didn't have to really endure that. Well, let's look at uh, the guy who perhaps could have been described as Jesus' childhood friend, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was killed. Right? He had to deal with that loss in his life. Uh, Jesus had to deal with the pains of those around him. I mean, if I, know, if, I, if I understand Jesus well, it was that he understood exactly what human beings felt in the middle of their pain, what they were experiencing in the middle of their pain. Jesus had to deal with the pain of betrayal. Ever heard of a guy named Judas? He dealt with that. He had to deal with ridicule as the Pharisees are talking about him and trying to trip him up with various questions. He dealt with slander as various people around him talked poorly about him because of the influence that he was gaining. He dealt with exclusion. When he went to, uh, back to his hometown of Nazareth, it was like they wouldn't even listen to him when he was in Nazareth. They didn't want him around as he started talking about these things. He dealt with depression and anxiety um, in the garden when he is there praying for the Lord to take the cup away. It says that he is literally sweating drops of blood. You know what makes you sweat drops of blood? You have an anxiety level that is so high that it actually causes your pores to open up wider than they would so that blood would come out of your pores. That's what Jesus was experiencing. Anxiety that intense. He experienced anger. You know, that we see that when he goes into the temple. He sees the way that they're dishonoring the Lord and how they're using the temple. And so we see Jesus experience anger and, and the pain that comes along with that. 
We see Jesus having to experience the pain of never really being known. I don't know if, if you read the Gospels uh, and, and you watch the way Jesus interacts with his disciples, uh, it's super interesting. All the way through, it's like they never really get it until the end, until they see Jesus risen. But in, in some cases, you don't even see uh, their, the result of the end. You just see the disciples who who seem to be really confused the whole time about who Jesus is. Which tells us, if like the disciples were Jesus' closest friends, it means that Jesus' closest friends didn't even really understand him as he was walking on this earth. Multiple beatings. Jesus had to endure multiple beatings. He endured public shaming. He endured the guards putting the crown of thorns on his head. He endured excruciating physical pain. The word excruciating, it literally, from the Latin, is of the cross. We get excruciating from this event, the crucifixion of Jesus. And and finally, he endured God's hatred for sin. He bore God's judgment towards sin in his body on the tree. So the point of talking about all of this, this is what Jesus endured. The point of all of it is that whatever pain we endure, Jesus, God made flesh, his pain at the very least matched it and likely exceeded it. So if you're tempted to think that God is distant in the middle of your pain, this is the reality. He took on himself pain. He chose to take on himself pain and suffering in order to give you an eternal hope in God. That's what Jesus did. Okay, so Peter goes on. The second truth this morning is this. Following Jesus expands your pain capacity. He says in verse 1, he says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. He says, arm yourself. So it's ironic that Peter talks about arming yourself. The last time Peter armed himself, he was in the garden, and the, the guards were actually coming to get Jesus to take him to the cross, and Peter armed himself and cut off the ear of one of the guards. Like, that's what he did. That was his solution. But what he's calling them to arm themselves with in this circumstance is a little bit different. Uh, he's, he's not calling them to fight. He's not calling them to resist. He's not calling them to take up the sword, but, but he's actually calling them back to uh, a pattern of living that he's already been emphasizing up to this point, which is submission. So uh, let's, let's focus on arm yourselves, though, for just a second, because I want to talk about what it actually means to arm ourselves, because he's talking about the ways that we think. Um, so it's like we make a series of predetermined decisions. So that I know when a certain circumstance happens in my life, when I encounter a a, a certain event, I already have planned out in my mind how I'm going to to respond to that event. So I make the decision for the event before the event ever arrives. So so this is kind of like uh, the zombie survival guide. I want you to know about the zombie survival guide. Uh, the zombie survival guide tells you all of the predetermined decisions that you have to make in the event of a zombie apocalypse so that when zombies are surrounding your home, you know uh, kind of what response pattern you have to take, right? Uh, and these, so, so this is what it does. It prepares you. You like arm yourself. You prepare yourself for all the things that you have to do when a certain circumstance comes your way. And the point of that, that was a silly illustration, but the point of that is, hey, you know what? Peter's saying when suffering and pain come your way, you don't have to fret about what to do because you've already armed yourself. You've already decided how it is that you're going to respond to these things. And so he says, uh, he, he connects it to a way of thinking. 
And that, that way of thinking, like I said earlier, it's connected to the idea of submission that he's been pulling through already. The idea, an attitude uh, that what we do when we engage in the Christian life and when we encounter people who are going to cause us pain is that we're not going to fight back against them and we're not even going to be passive. We're actually going to respond to bless them. First Peter 3, 9 says this. It says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. So when your boss fires you, you know what you do? You thank her for the opportunity. When your neighbor complains, you know what you do? You resolve the issue that they're complaining about, and then you bake them cookies and take them to your house. Uh, When the cop pulls you over, you address that officer with respect, and you pull over extra far to the side of the road for them, and and you, uh, you don't argue when they hand you a speeding ticket, right? This is kind of the ways that we operate. When they come to arrest you for your faith, as they're putting you in the police car, they're taking you into the building, what you do is you, you ask, hey, uh, I just want to know, is there any way that I can pray for your family? You know, uh, and, and this, is, this is important. The more pain that comes my way, the more I'm going to strive to bless. The more pain that comes my way, the more I'm going to strive to bless. So, so this is what Peter understands. As pain gets harder and more challenging, we have to actually make a series of predetermined decisions. We have to arm ourselves to be able to bless. So when, uh, so when I watched uh, Andrea's family dealing with her mom's cancer, my wife is Andrea, by the way, um, and uh, when when Andrea and I met, her mom had brain cancer, and, um, and she passed away shortly before our wedding, and what happened is I got to observe her family go through that process, and what I will tell you is it was actually remarkable what I got to witness. I watched Andrea's mom as she had to deal with the pain and the disappointment of every doctor's report, Uh, I watched her bless other people. I watched her write notes to people. I watched her encourage people as she was going through the difficulty that she was going through. I watched her family actually make space for me uh, as I was in seminary. Like they, they made a space in the house where I could like stay down in the basement, uh, that I could spend their weekends with them, that I could figure out what it looked like to live with them while they were going through the middle of this whole circumstance. Uh, I, I got to watch her dad, Kirk, I watched him humbly serve consistently his wife as she was suffering through all of this. In all of these ways, I got to watch all of these people, uh, this family, I got to watch them bless others around them. I got to watch them be a, be a true example of what it looks like to go through suffering well. They suffered well, and I want to talk about why it was, what, how was it that they were able to suffer well? The reason that they were able to suffer well is because they had armed themselves beforehand. Christ had done a work in them. They had uh, made a series of predetermined decisions that when certain things happen in my life, these are the ways that we're going to respond. And that doesn't change the reality that it's hard. That doesn't change the reality that we have to acknowledge the difficulty of it, but the reality is, like, we still strive to bless in the middle of of our suffering. And then it says, it says in the verse that we do this the same way as Jesus. We arm ourselves with the same way of thinking that draws our attention back to earlier in the verse when he's talking about Jesus. We do it like Jesus does. They, they armed themselves by letting the Holy Spirit and the Word of God do its work in them leading up to the years of that. That's what Andrea's family did. And, and it's, like, it's kind of like you ask the question, okay, 
what would Jesus do? Like I had the bracelet as I was a kid. It said WWJD on it, and that might seem overly simplistic, but the reality is it's a valuable question to ask. When Jesus gets to this situation, how would he, how would he respond? What would Jesus do? This is what Peter's calling them to. So, so can we just acknowledge something? Whatever is true of the why behind our suffering. Whatever is true of the why behind our suffering. So, so we might ask question, okay, God, why are you letting me go, th- go through this? Why am I having to deal with this? Whatever is true of the why, at the very least, it is this. God wants to use it to make you more like Jesus. At the very least. Like, there might be a whole lot of other reasons and, that I can't even fathom, but at the very least, God wants to use pain and suffering to make us more like Jesus. And you know what? As we become more like Jesus, our capacity for pain and to respond well in pain expands. And you know what happens as our capacity for pain expands? Like, God may actually allow more pain to come into our lives. And then, and then what that does is, God, as we respond to that well, it makes us more like Jesus, and our capacity expands even more. And God may even fill up that space more. But, but the point is, is that uh, God uses all of these chances to make us more like Jesus. And the more we're like Jesus, the more that capacity expands. And so, so to those who actually are tempted to lash out at others in the midst of pain, you know what Jesus wants to do? Jesus actually wants to increase your capacity to bless while you're in pain. So he continues on at the end of verse 1. Third, uh, third point in your notes, not all pain is created equal. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So uh, if you read this just on the, the first account, you might go, okay, you're saying, like Peter, you're saying uh, more suffering equals less sin. And that's not exactly what he's saying. Uh, you can look up in chapter 3 to know that like, he, he designates different kinds of suffering. And so Peter's implication is, it, while it's not that uh, all suffering equals less sin, it is that all suffering actually does have the potential to help us do the things that God wants us to do. All suffering has that potential. So I just want to uh, bring up to you four categories of pain. The first category is this, pain experienced by those who don't follow Jesus Okay, so this kind of pain is valuable. There's learning and growing here. But uh, just sit with me for a second. That, this kind of pain at the end of the day is ultimately meaningless. Because if life is pain, and, and if pain is just an ever constant in, the, in this life, and, and this life is all that there is, then what is the point of even dealing with the pain? What is the point of going through the pain? There's a, there's a philosopher. Uh, his name is David Benatar. He is a... He is a non-Christian philosopher. He's an atheist philosopher. And he has drawn the necessary conclusion that, hey, uh, life is pain, and as a result, it would have been better never to have been born. Like human beings, the human race in general would have been better off not existing because of the pain, the reality that exists. That's, that's a really sad reality, but, but at the end of the day, if you're saying that this life is all that there is, that's what the conclusion that it draws you to. So that's the first category of pain, pain experienced by those who don't follow Jesus. The second category of pain, pain experienced by anyone because of their dumb decisions. Okay, so can, uh, I just have some pictures that I need to show you all because this is the kind of pain that we get ourselves into with our dumb decisions. So here's the first one. This is a cat and a slinky. <laughs> that cat is in pain and it's his own fault. All right, go to the next one. 
Uh, that pain is caught in the blind. That cat, yeah, very good. All right, next one. Uh, that one's caught in the couch. Yeah. That, is it caught in the water bottles? Yeah. This is my favorite one. This is the most important one. Here we go. There it is. That cat got caught in the jar. Those cats are in a lot of pain because they made really dumb decisions. Okay? So, like, that's what we need to wrap our minds, like, in pain where the result of making dumb decisions, like, every one of those cats deserves the result of what they're in. Number one, because they're cats, and number two, (laughs) sorry, Grace, sorry, Grace, and number two, because of the decisions that they made. Okay, so, uh, so, so, uh, Peter talks about this, uh, how this pain can actually, that that results from our decisions, how it comes about. First Peter 3.17, it says this, it says, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil, which means that Peter realizes that, hey, you're going to experience pain because of the poor decisions that you make. So when you break the speed limit, when you lie, when you choose to do drugs, when you yell at your neighbors, whatever that thing might be, that, that thing that you know is wrong, like there are natural consequences that result from that, and you're going to have to deal with those. That pain is natural. It's actually justified. Like, yeah, like, whatever you're going through, in that case, that's, that's a pain that is a consequence of your actions. So the question is, okay, if you're sitting in that kind of pain, what do you do with it? We'll come back to that. Number three, the third kind of pain. Pain experienced by Christians who are resisting the Holy Spirit's work. So sometimes we experience pain, and, uh, and we allow it to kind of place us in an adversarial position against God, where we actually want to challenge God because of what he's causing us to go through. We might wag our fingers at him. We might disbelieve that he's good or that he cares. But at the end of the day, what it leads us to do is actually resist what God wants to use the pain for in our lives. So that's, that's the third category of pain. And the fourth category of pain is this. There's pain experienced by those who do submit to God's spirit. So here's the thing. Even if we lean in to Jesus... Even if we trust Jesus more and more each day, what doesn't change is the reality that pain will still be there as long as we, were in, we are in this world. Like, this is, this is a natural. So how many people have ever heard, like, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Yeah, yeah you, you've heard it before, right? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. The implication, like, if I, if I, that was the only statement I had, I mean, I might be drawn to think that, like, hey, I'm going to believe in God, and then, then God, after that, God is just going to make me happy, healthy, and wealthy. He's going to take away all the pain in my life. Like, if you just follow Jesus, your life will get easier. And I tell you, in fact, it's, it's probably the opposite. Like, if you make a decision to follow Jesus, God's maybe going to allow some things to come into your life that are going to deepen your trust in Him in the middle of hard circumstances. So, so if you follow Jesus, the promise is not that you will avoid all suffering, but rather that the God who suffered for you will go with you through the suffering. So, uh, so I have a picture up here that I want to share with you. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Could you imagine saying those words to Peter's audience who had gotten kicked out of their homes? who had been abused. And this was going to become their reality in in a few short years, the kinds of things that they would have to go through. Right, and so Peter's not saying, like, the pain's going to get taken away. He's acknowledging the reality of the pain. And rather than ignoring it, like we might be tempted to do, he he wants to call it out. And so I don't know what category your pain 
falls into. But then he wants to say all pain in all of those categories, they all have a potential. There's like potential in every single aspect of pain, wherever it might be. Your pain actually has the potential to produce spiritual fruit. Your pain can bear spiritual fruit if you let it, whatever category it's in. Even if you're, if you're not a Jesus follower, but, but you're experiencing pain, God can use that pain in your life to make you dependent on him and want to follow him. Whatever category it might be, God can use all of it to bear spiritual fruit if you let it. Okay, so then Peter, he finishes his discussion on suffering, and, and then he displays that potential that we talked about with clarity. The fourth truth is one that we've already talked about. God uses pain to produce fruit. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So uh, we talked about our potential to use our pain to justify broken behavior earlier. But apparently as we look at Scripture, pain is one method that God decides to use to actually make us more holy. It's one of the tools that he decides to use. Uh, in, uh, in alliance lingo, in Christian and missionary alliance lingo, what we said is that God uh, allows us to go through crisis um, in order to experience the sanctification of God's Spirit in us. Sanctification means making us more like God wants us to be. Making us whole, literally, is what it's talking about. Like, we're broken people who live in a broken world, and God's ultimate desire for us is to see that brokenness in us made whole. And this is how much he wanted it. He wanted it so much that he actually took on flesh in the person of Jesus and suffered for us. And so every person who decides to follow Jesus, the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus takes up residence in us. And it starts helping us learn how to live like Jesus in the middle of pain. It starts helping us learn how to handle pain in a way that helps us more to do the things that God wants us to do, to become actual whole people. So your question, we started with this question today, what do I do about my pain? And this is my encouragement, if for anybody who's in the middle of pain, and I know that there's a lot of it here this morning, In the middle of your pain, let your pain press you into God. Whatever it might be, let your pain press you into God. Okay, so what? So, a sermon on pain, you might be inclined to ask, Pastor, why is God letting me go through this? And I want to tell you that Often Christians, when we respond to this question, sometimes we can be unhelpful in the way that we respond to it. We might say things like, you know, it's all a part of God's plan, or God knows what he's doing, and and those things might be true, but they're not necessarily helpful in that moment. So can I, I want to actually acknowledge something. I don't know why you're going through the pain that you're going through always. I can't tell you the totality of the reason that God might have for allowing certain pain in your life. But, and, the, and actually, Scripture doesn't, doesn't even give us a clear answer to draw conclusions about that. And so you, you read the book of Job, and the book of Job is all about a guy who went through intense pain after intense pain, and he's asking all these questions and trying to figure all of these things out. And at the end of the day, like, what he figures out is like God's in charge, but he never understands God's reason for doing any of that. Right? And so, so I want to talk about, this is what Scripture does tell us about pain and how it comes about says that pain is the result of living in a broken world. 
a, a world where humans have rebelled against God. Like, that's one of our reasons for dealing with pain, is that we have to deal with the results of the fall. If we choose to press into God in the midst of our pain, this is what it also says, he will use that pain to help bring about wholeness, to bring about his will in our lives. And then the other thing that we, that we understand about pain is that one day for every single follower of Jesus, every ounce of pain that we have will be healed and resolved when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom. It'll be done away with forever. So I can't give you the whole answer about why you're going through particular pain, but at least the small part of the answer that I can give you is this. God wants you to trust him more in the middle of pain. Okay, number two. How do I press in? How do I press in? I'd say, first off, if you've never trusted in Jesus before, I'd encourage you, trust in Jesus. Because pain, to, to become useful, to produce the kinds of things that God wants it to see, he wants, he wants His Holy Spirit to start doing work in people to help them increase their capacity and all of this. But it all starts with trusting in Jesus. And so if you've never trusted in Jesus, I'd encourage you to, to, to pray, to ask God uh, to, to, to reveal to you the God who, who took on flesh, who suffered so that he could understand your pain more, so that he could enter into your pain, ultimately so that he could redeem you and give you forgiveness of sins and win you a relationship with God. And so step one, how do you press in trust in Jesus? Uh, another one. You can use the Psalms to guide your prayers. In the midst of really uh, difficult times in my life, times where I've had to be dealing with pain, uh, suffering different things, as I've gone through that, I've found the Psalms, like two-thirds of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. Like Psalms that are just about the, the hard realities of life and who God is in the midst of it. And so I'd encourage you, if you're, if you're in the middle of this and you're trying to see God in the middle of this, um, use, use the Psalms to guide your prayer life. Number three, be honest with God. That's, again, that, that's uh, kind of uh, going against the temptation to ignore our pain or to pretend it doesn't exist. Uh, so in your prayers, as you're talking, like stop trying to ignore things, but actually acknowledge the hard realities and call them out. And in, as you're praying to God, just say, God, I don't even know what to do about this. I know that it hurts. Would you help me in the midst of it? Would you show me how you're present in the midst of it? And the fourth one is this. Press in by blessing even when you suffer. Blessing other people. Striving to be a blessing to the people that you're surrounding, even when you're in the middle of pain. I, uh, my prayer for this this morning is that the Lord would use this as an encouragement to us. And maybe, maybe you're not in the middle of suffering, and so uh, that's, the, that's a unique opportunity for you to arm yourselves for whatever the Lord might bring in the future. But all of it is the kinds of people that he wants to make us into, what he wants to do in us through the middle of our pain and through the middle of our suffering. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we just prepare to close our service this morning, but I ask that you would just draw our attention to Jesus. But we need to keep coming back to them. It's so, it's so easy to forget um, what it is that Jesus had done for us, what it is that he actually endured. And, and I thank you for not only the example of Jesus, but, but how he endured suffering, how he entered into every single circumstance that we, um, we go through. 
Lord, and, and he showed us just how strong he was to overcome that suffering. Lord, but that doesn't mean he didn't suffer. And so, Lord, I, I pray that as we, uh, as we look to Jesus this morning, that you would set our hopes on the expectation of this, this future living hope that he's going to provide for us, that there is indeed a day coming when pain will not be around anymore. But Lord, while the pain is here, teach us how to go through it well. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we uh, close with a song.